into these situations. Teenagers, give them an inch, they swim all over you. All right, performers, let us enter in an orderly fashion and provide an example. Will somebody... Please take over. W Radio, your information station. Hello and welcome to the WW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangello, and this is show number 412 for the week of July 12th, 2015. I'm here to help you have the best possible Disney vacation experience and bring you a little bit of Disney magic wherever you are with this podcast, videos, blog, live broadcasts, special events, books, tours, and more. You can find the podcast in iTunes and find everything else over at www.radio.com. So this week, I want to invite you to sit in on a conversation I had with the man who was once responsible for all the cast members and operations at Walt Disney World, Lee Cockrell. Lee returns to the show to discuss everything from his thoughts on changes to the parks, My Magic Plus, Star Wars, customer service, growth, legacy, what makes Disney special, what's next, and much, much more. I'll then have the answer to our last Walt Disney World trivia question of the week and pose a new challenge for your chance to win a Disney prize package. Then stay tuned to the end of the show for more information about upcoming meets of the month in Walt Disney World and lots of special events on the road. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WW Radio Show. of people visit and more importantly return to Walt Disney World every year and I honestly don't believe that it's because of the attractions the characters, the shows or yes, even the food it's because of the people and what I mean isn't the other guests it's the cast members and today I'm joined by somebody who I think is going to agree with me he's the former executive vice president of operations for the entire Walt Disney World Resort and was the senior operating executive for 10 years. He led the team of more than 40,000 cast members and was responsible for the operation of more than 20 hotels and four theme parks and two water parks and shopping and entertainment, ESPN, and everything else that makes Walt Disney World the number one vacation destination of the world. Uh, He is, of course, Lee Cockrell, and I am so excited and honored to have you back on the show again. So, Lee, welcome. Thank you, Lou. That's quite an introduction. Sounds like I knew what was going on. <laughs> well, it's funny because, you know, I had you on the show uh, on number 93 back in November of 2008. We got together at Hollywood Studios, and I cannot believe it's been uh, seven years since then. But uh, you've been a very busy young man, right? So much for retirement, right? <laughs> so what have you been doing over the past, you know, gosh, I can't believe it's been almost 10 years. Well, I retired uh, nine years ago, and somebody told me not to watch TV during the day or I'd be dead. So I started <laughs> started a little business, and the business took off and has grown, and little did I know I could even write one book. I've written three. I just finished the fourth one out in California. It'll be out maybe sometime this year. And then I learned about podcasts, which I didn't even know what a podcast was a year ago, and uh, that's really been fun and great and I think educational for people. We, I get a lot of nice notes from people saying thanks for that 15 minutes that uh, our family talked about it or we, we play it at our staff meeting at work. So I've just learned uh, – I'm learning more every day about all this stuff that's out there to not only get exposure from me but to promote my products and my speaking business. And it's pretty amazing how fast technology is just making it all possible. I hear from people all over the world. And uh, my book – two books were just published in Russian wow. of all places. You know? So <laughs> – 
I don't know if Vladimir Putin's reading them, but uh, somebody is. <laughs> well, like I said, you know, half-jokingly, you're almost busier in retirement. And look, you found a medium that I believe in in very, very strongly in terms of the, the power of podcasting and the intimacy that I think it affords, especially somebody like you, to be able to reach your audience and, more importantly, tell stories with passion and emotions and sort of recounting things that have happened to you. And I can understand how and why you must get su such great feedback from podcasting. Oh, yeah. You know, you just said the right word, storytelling. And it's really what's made my not only my speeches and keynotes, seminars, I think, successful. I'm hearing more and more from universities who are using my books now as textbooks. And they said the students are fed up with theory. They want to hear reality. How do you really do it? And they are most of them relate very well to Disney because they've been there and they know how well Disney executes. So it's a good uh, good company to – and Marriott too. And I must say even Hilton. Uh, storytelling is the name of the game and more people need to quit using PowerPoint and tell stories. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think that companies, no matter what company they are in, um, you know, they need to almost be media companies because they are storytellers. You know, the thing that people are interested in, the thing that – that impresses them are the stories. It's not the product. You're selling them an experience. You're not selling them necessarily the tangible item. Absolutely. I mean, it's. I think it's always been that way for thousands of years. Storytelling. We all like those stories when we were little. The Bible stories, the, all the fantasy stories. Just think about the things that got you hooked when you were a little kid. Golden books. Stories. 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 Yeah, and, and certainly that's obviously what Disney does, I think, better than anybody else. And it's, it's funny because we both kind of talk about customer service, right, in our lives after our careers, right? <laughs> you, you know, you were an executive, I was an attorney, and now sort of these, these secondary careers that we have created for ourselves. You know, we both kind of talk in keynotes and presentations about customer service, but I think it's interesting because we come at it from a very different perspective, right? Me as a guest sort of observing for 40 plus years and you from inside the company, but I think it really does come down to that simple concept that we probably agree upon that it's about exceeding expectations, right? And I think that's why people go and go back to the parks. And like I said at the beginning, it's not because of the attractions. It's because those cast members continue to exceed expectations. Oh, there's no question, you know, and people always ask me about Universal or SeaWorld or d competition. And I tell them, you know, Disney long ago figured out competition is anywhere you would spend your vacation dollars. It doesn't matter. It's not Universal. It's not SeaWorld. It's Hawaii, Las Vegas, the mountains, uh, France, going to London. So that's why we try to make the experience just so incredible that people go, no matter where they go the next time, they say, let's go back to Disney. And... Uh, Try to keep it hassle-free and uh, fun and a place where families can enjoy it together. And and I always tell people, the one thing I started to learn, in, and actually I learned it at Disney more. Marriott was good, but I really learned at Disney, everything matters. You got you to, gotta, everything matters. And that's what I learned at Disney. The trash on the floor, the bathroom cleanliness, everything matters. But what matters most is the cast members. And there is no question that that's where Disney has the uh, leg up on everybody in the world. The chances you're running into a rude cast member at Disney is zero. I mean, it, <clears throat> they're just uh, its part of the DNA. It's the kind of people that Disney hires and the training and the culture. And when you do those three things... That's what you get is a place where people want to come back and you can charge more. You can, they, they, they find it, you know, people say it was expensive, but it was worth it. Boy, that, there you go, the, the value proposition. Well, it's interesting that you say that because you're right. It is about the cast members and it is about storytelling because I think when guests come back from their vacation at Walt Disney World or Disneyland or Disney Cruise Line, wherever it may be, the stories that they are telling their, their friends, their coworkers around the water cooler, on Twitter, on whatever it may be, is not about, wow, how great Expedition Everest was or, wow, cool, it's a small world was cool. Well, the stories they're telling are about, most times, I think, the interactions with the cast members. And that is you know, the message that other people go, wow, you know, I need to go and bring my family there. Because, right, we're, you're, everybody's competing for your time. They're competing for your attention. They're competing for your resources. But the stories about the cast members exceeding expectations is what is going to bring new guests into the parks. Oh, yeah. I mean, I thought I'd heard it all when I was at Disney. And every week there would be some other cast story about a guest telling me what a cast member did for them. It just blew my mind. 
And the cast member didn't have to do it. They did it because they wanted to, and it's just how those people are wired. Hiring can do positive people. They figure out a solution. The manager doesn't have to be around. And that's what's so incredible to me is the stories I hear about cast members just doing the little things for two minutes, five minutes, 20 seconds, uh, going out of their way to make sure the guest has a great experience. And every company could do that if they'd get more focused on hiring better, training better, and getting a culture where people wake up in the morning pretty excited to come into work. And uh, that can be done no matter what business you're in. Yeah, and I think and I think it's – forgive that the quote is, is Mr. – I think Henry Ford said, you know, it's not what you do when you're being watched. It's what you do when you're not. And, and so you mentioned something that, that as a former employer I've always wondered about is the hiring, right? So when Disney hires, is it really – you know, is it something that has to sort of be in your DNA or is it something that can be taught? Because when you see – a cast member that, you know, maybe isn't making a ton of money, but it's the middle of summer and they're out there and they're sweating and they're working and they're dancing and they are giving every guest the best possible experience. I think it's something that sort of has to be in you, right? I think you're either born with it or you're not. How much of it really is DNA? How much of it is, is the exceptional training that Disney does? Oh, no, I think most of it is who you are. You know, I say what you do, you can be trained to how to do it. But who you are is who you are. And that started a long time ago when you were young. And hopefully your parents made you feel secure and gave you self-confidence and made you believe in yourself and and taught you to be disciplined and to keep your promises and do what you say you're going to do. And uh, those are the things that you hire. And I say the only thing, you know, we say we hire can-do people with passion and we can take care of the training. They don't need any. I don't care what skill level they have. We can train that. But you cannot train can-do attitude, and you cannot train people to have passion. So don't hire them because you're going to be frustrated. Right. You you train them up to sort of stay faithful to the mission, right? Their mission is singular. It's three words. It's make people happy. And then you train them how to operate the cash register or the attraction, whatever it may be. Absolutely. As my granddaughter said, be nice. And if you're nice <laughs> to people and you take care of people, they'll forgive you for making little technical mistakes. But if you're not nice and you're rude and you're defensive, and those are the things that annoy people. It's not what happens. It's how you handle it. And uh, I think the average Disney person is not going to win an argument with a customer because they're not going to try to. They're going to try to turn them around. And uh, that's our goal in life is uh, every customer to walk away and uh, want to come back and go home and tell everybody in their city about it. I, Even the cruise line. The cruise line's unbelievable. Disney's great. Disney World's great. Cruise line is incredible. I mean, I just, I, I just shake my head when I come off one of those cruise ships at the fine job they do. They're just amazing. And I hear from guests every time they get off a cruise ship. I hear get an email from somebody tell me the wonderful, incredible things that happened on the ship. Well, and it, it was all about, all about the cast on the ship. Right. It's always it, about the cast. It, it's proof positive that it's not about the place, right? It's not about the tangible things that you see or smell or taste or touch. It's about sort of the, the ability for Disney to take that quote-unquote magic and bring it wherever they are, even at sea, on Castaway Key, wherever it may be. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. And, you know, you hear people today in companies say, well, we can't find these people. You can. You just got to work harder at it, and you got to be clear when you hire people what your expectations are. If you're clear with people, they'll step up. If you're not clear, they don't know what you want. And you got to be clear and you got to communicate that and you got to hold people accountable. Somebody said you train them and you test them and you enforce the training and they'll do just fine. And it's always been amazing to me. Again, I go to the parks more as an observer than I do a guest. And, and I've always been fascinated. And I think that's why I fell in love with this place at how the cast members, no matter what their role may be from housekeeping to custodial to entertainer attractions, they all act as though they have a vested interest in your individual family's vacation, and you specifically have a good time. And that's a, one of the things that I have never found, Lee, anywhere else under any other circumstances. Well, I think, you know, I think they do, actually. And I think it becomes part of the whole place, and it's pride. And it's in their DNA, as we talked about before. And, um, you know, when you get that kind of uh, culture and, and environment going... It's kind of peer pressure. Everybody's putting pressure on each other to do a great job. And they get a lot of positive feedback, too. And uh, so it's pretty special. that uh, And uh, people need to be working on their culture more than they're working on their next rollout of some program. They need to really wonder, are you treating your people properly? Are you training them properly? Do they have opportunity? Can they get ahead here? 
do you give them good feedback on appreciation, recognition, and, and really build that self-esteem up so people wake up in the morning and they just want to do a great job. And maybe they're cleaning a bathroom today and five years from now they're a manager. And that's what really gets people excited, opportunity. And I think it's simple. If you give love, you get love. If you give love to your employees, to your cast members, whatever it may be, you will get that same type of love in return. And one of the books, one of your many books that you wrote in your semi-retirement is about the customer rules, the 39 essential rules for delivering sensational service. Again, I like to talk about that to businesses and at conferences too, because I think that every business isn't just in the storytelling business. I think that they're in the customer service. Look, and, and like you, I'm sure we've talked to, to similar groups, whether they're healthcare professionals, attorneys. I just gave a presentation to funeral directors, and I'm like, you are in the customer service business. And I think a lot of businesses might not realize that, and that's why they aren't as successful as they could be. That's funny you say that. Tomorrow at 10 o'clock, I'm giving a presentation to the National Funeral Directors Association <laughs> at the Grand Floridian. So, but they are. are. I mean, they are. And look, you know, the, the, the thing that's going to differentiate them, the mate that's going to stand, the, stand out from other funeral homes is the level of compassion and customer service that they give to those families. Well, you know, I saw Brad Rex this morning. Brad used to run Epcot, and he left the company some time ago, and a private equity company hired him, and they're in the funeral business now, and they're going around the U.S. buying up all the funeral homes and branding them to put that special touch in there about how we treat people and the empathy and being them, doing it all, bringing it up to a really strong brand that uh, the when these tragic things happen in people's lives, that they're going to handle it better than any other funeral home in the world. And you talk about it, and they, and they picked a guy from Disney to, to run that business. And something else that is sort of a, almost a, a byproduct of what you do is you really do, you know, walk the talk. You believe in what you preach because, again, companies not just being storytellers and not just being in the customer service business, I think that we also both believe that people – are and should be and need to be teachers, right? We have an opportunity and obligation to teach others how we by how we behave and not just to our children but to other people. And that's what you're doing now. You've taken all this experience that you've gotten and you're teaching other people how to implement it, not just in their businesses but in their daily lives. Well, I'd say this is what most leaders ought to be doing. CEOs and managers and executives ought to quit being the boss and start being teachers because that's where you get commitment. That's where people step up. That's where you get loyalty and quit bossing people around. Nobody likes that. Teach me and I'll do a good job for you and uh, appreciate me and I'll do a good job for you. The more you love me, the more I love you. So <laughs> if you don't care about me, I may not care about you or your business or your customers. So you got to... Until you get people to really become teachers and really when you think about it, that's the most important job in the world. Whether you're a parent or a first grade teacher or any level, teaching is where people really appreciate you. Well, I think something you said there too is the distinguishing factor between a good leader and a great leader. Right? A good leader is going to tell you how to go and, and pull that you know, thing down the street. A great leader is going to get at the front of that cart and be the first guy pulling it. Absolutely. Good role models. That's the best teacher in the world is a good role model. I agree. And, and I think the other thing too, Lee, and I think this is really, of all the things that we've talked about, I think that the thing that makes Disney special and unique and magical, whatever one word you say it, is the fact that people have, unlike I think any other brand on the planet, people have an emotional connection to that, right? And the cast members make people feel the brand and, and believe in the brand and learn from the brand because it's how these stories make us feel a certain way. Do you think that too? Do you think the, the emotional connection to Disney is also part of it too? Well, I think it is. And I think it is because we've got, it's a family destination. There's a lot of emotions and family spending time together, even during Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, the many troops before they were deployed came there with their families. And uh, the, as soon as they got back from being deployed, and that's the first time the place they came back to together. They said it was a special feeling before they left as a family, no worries, and a special place to get away from all the world problems and come to Disney. And that, that was very interesting to me that the troops really found a lot of uh, good feelings there and a lot of emotion and being there with their kids and the kids being so excited. I mean, 
you take a kid to Disney and you tell them they're going to Disney, they go out, they lose their mind. I mean, <laughs> so do the parents. Some of the parents do too. Sometimes. I know. I mean, I've seen mothers running around the corner and pointing out the castle to their little eighteen-month-old who's sound asleep in the stroller. And the mother's more excited, and the kid could care less because they're not old enough yet. But mom just can't wait to show meet Cinderella with her child. Or oh, I mean, it is very emotional. Yeah, I, I tell the story all the time that I, I love going to Magic Kingdom and watching the opening show, you know, the opening of the park at the train station. And while everybody else is facing the train station, I'm turned around and I'm watching the guests because I love seeing and it's an emotional thing for me when I see this big, tough dad with the beard and the tattoos like but he's got his daughter in his hands and she's sitting there with her mouth agape and you see the tear you know, streaming down his face because that's what, you know, that's his emotional connection. The reason why we go back is because of those types of memories. Wow. There's nothing in the world, not one single thing that makes parents happier than their children being happy. And I tell businesses, remember that you'll make a lot of inroads into creating customers. Treat, always pay attention to the children. Absolutely. So, since you've left the company in nearly almost a decade, there has been sort of unprecedented growth and, and change. And I think that it's, it's an exciting time, and it has been for the past few years, to be a Disney fan. As you sort of step back, now not being so closely associated, and you see the growth and changes, sort of what are your thoughts of what, over what you've seen nearly the past decade since you left? Well, I, you know, there's a lot of change. There's a lot of additions. A lot. The parks are getting bigger. Uh, I think they had 52 million visitors last year. I think they had about 50,000 cast members when I was there, and I think now they have 72,000. Can you imagine? Wow. And it's just getting bigger and bigger, and it will continue to get bigger. And I just, uh, I think the only thing Disney needs to do, and I think they're doing that, is continue to survey the guests and make sure that the ratings are high and the value is high. And no matter how big you get, it's each guest, we've got to make sure that they give us a good score on they were worth it. And so far, I understand that that is true. Sometimes you can get so big that you forget to start talking to the guests. You quit talking to them, and you don't realize that you're slipping. And uh, Disney's really, I think they interview a couple million people a year, by the way, at every place they can to understand what's happening. And um, they've got a great uh, industrial engineering department, a great research department. They're all over it. And I think... Uh, I don't think that'll change. You know, Disney really uh, worldwide is doing well. The movies are just, every one of them is another hit. And uh, they're hitting on all strokes right now. And then Shanghai's going to open. And I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of been a really good place right now. And uh, I think the leadership over there, look, George Calagritis is running the parks. And he started there 17 years old, bussing tables, you know. <laughs> So you can't say he doesn't know what's going on. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he knows everything, waiters and waitresses, and everybody else does. Right. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, they're doing good. And I, um, you know, I, I think uh, I, I, I see no doubt. I, I go occasionally. My wife and I'll go over for a few hours, go to Epcot, go here and go there, take guests there. And, and still, the experience is just uh, great. And then if you go on a cruise ship, man, you will never be happy anywhere in your life again after you experience a service on a cruise ship. Uh, everything in your life will be a disappointment after that. <laughs> so you might not want to go. Because <laughs> it might really mess you up. You certainly aren't going to go on another cruise line after that because, again, it's not – you know, it's the same thing. It's like it's not Disney. People say all the time, well, it's good, but it's not – it's not quite Disney. And there's a lot of things you, you touched on that I'm going to want to circle back to. But one of the things I think in terms of the, the park experience for guests is that what we are seeing, thanks to some high tech, some low tech, some no tech, I think we're seeing much more interactive, personalized experiences in the parks. And I think that's going to continue to grow, especially with the uh, evolution of My Magic Plus. Oh, yeah. I think technology is going to create a lot of good things. And, uh, and the caution every company's got to have is just to make sure you decide when technology is the right answer and when the, a human person is the right answer and get that right. And, uh, and uh, for a while, you know, 10 years from now, technology will be even more because older people will be gone. <laughs> and the, <laughs> the peak kids growing up on it now, you know, I have a 14-year-old grandson and a 16-year-old granddaughter and a 19. 
I mean, for them, uh, the more they can do themselves and uh, looking up things on their phone quickly and uh, anything you can do with technology, they like to do that and they will do that. And uh, so it, it will even down the road, we'll see more technology, but always, I think, have that caution. If you need a person there, have a person. So we'll see how that shakes out over time. Every company's having to struggle with that. Some companies are not doing too well with it. They put too much te- technology, you know, when you know, in these call centers and these call trees, and you can't get anybody, and it's like a nightmare. And uh, so, uh, yeah, I called the water company here in Orlando the other day to figure out what my water bill was because I was gone for a month, and by the time I, I pushed so many buttons, I didn't think I was ever going to get <laughs> the last last opportunity I had was to talk to somebody. And I wish that had been the first opportunity. But uh, I, what am I going to do? They, I, they, they got kind of a monopoly. I have to be nice to them. I won't have any water. <laughs> but they're they're dehumanizing the experience. The opposite of what I think Disney does well, which is very much humanizes the brand. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, I went to the post office and they still can't get it right. You know. This whole thing, I had to. I mail books out, media mail, and sometimes I put them in my mailbox. The mailman takes it, but uh, because if it's over 13 ounces, you're supposed to take it to the post office. Can you imagine this day and age? <laughs> Give me a break. I mean, it's just the it, post office is going to be gone one day or privatized like they did in the UK. It's just a, total aggravation. I, I'm gonna, I, I, it's so I don't know how many hours of my life. Yeah, hours I agree of my with life you. are lost at the post office. I agree with you, and, I, and I've had the same issue, and I, I agree. I think it should not take it off on a tangent, but I think it should be privatized because they don't care. I get notes, handwritten notes on my car from the postman, post service letter carrier person, <laughs> that says he or she is going to stop delivering my mail because she needs to get out of her car to put the mail in the mailbox <laughs> because there's a and, car parked in front of my house. And they used to walk with a bag. Uh, what happened to the rain, the sleet, the snow, the hail? Now, like, eh, if it's not convenient, we're really not going to do it. <laughs> I, I, I tell you, 80% of the times I'll go on up to FedEx or UPS and pay the premium to not yeah. have to deal with them. Yeah, again, it, it, it goes right back to it, right? Poor customer service is going to kill the postal service. Yep, it is. And it is. It is happening. The only thing that keeps them alive are the catalog business. Yeah, so everything else, yeah, they're they're in trouble, and uh, so we'll see how it shakes out. But uh, they have to deal with Congress too, which is probably my business would die too if I had to deal with that. <laughs> so let's talk more. You know, you mentioned something about Disney's growth, and and the growth over the past decade has really been exponential because of things like acquisitions of Muppets and Marvel and Lucasfilm. And I've said over and over again that I think Bob Iger's legacy is going to be about his acquisitions, but I think to sort of parallel, not to compare, like Walt who wanted to surround himself by the people who were the best in the business, he has sort of said, look, we need to surround ourselves or acquire or align ourselves with those entertainment companies that are the best in the business. Looking at it from a you know 30,000 foot view, when you see them acquiring companies that are the best at what they do, like a Marvel, like a Lucasfilm, what are your thoughts? Well, I think uh, it t- it's a lot of risk when you do that, and they're willing to do it. And no, no part of your life—I don't care if it's your personal life, your health, uh, your career—unless you take risk, you're not going to be successful. And Bob's willing to do that, and it's been impressive. And uh, and then he knows not only how to buy them, he knows how to use them. <laughs> and uh, you buy that content, and then he's got a whole team of people who are figuring out how to get the money back out of that content. And just look, even back when Michael was there, when they bought ESPN, can you imagine what that's worth? Oh my gosh, ABC, ESPN. Oh, it's you talk about an acquisition, buying the right thing. And um, so, yeah, he's a smart guy. And by the way, he's uh, people really do like working with him. He's very respectful of everyone. And he uh, he's a real professional. And I think that's why you're seeing this. And he's probably put some people at ease to take more risks. And uh, it's showing. I mean, after Frozen came out, I said, wow. I mean, I never – I didn't even know what Frozen was. I was on an airplane <laughs> and I watched it. And it. Even my age, it was impressive. I loved it. And uh, look at that thing. It's just like a gold mine. And uh, so, yeah. Yeah. It's so, all con- content. Content. It's all content. Right. You've got to have great content. And you don't know what's going to resonate with people, right? I don't think anybody really saw Frozen coming. I think it's this generation's Lion King. But, but to that point, because that actually brings me to something else. You know, I think one thing that Disney has done well 
is they really, again, they listen to guests, they pay attention to what they're thinking about and talking about, and and there's this renewed sort of sense of nostalgia in terms of what's old is new again, and they look back and they bring things back, whether it's Orange Bird or, or other things that people have loved, because again, it, it's what they miss, it's what they loved, it's what has worked before. But I think sometimes that nostalgia and that passion and that emotional connection we talked about earlier evokes... <laughs> how do I say this, incredibly emotional responses from guests and fans, both on and offline, case in point, when they closed Maelstrom to bring in Frozen. Um, It was a very sort of divisive decision, but I think, you know, it's all about what's a good, you know, what's a guest satisfier? What is it that people want? When you hear about something like Maelstrom closing and being replaced by Frozen, what what, what are your sort of thoughts on it? Well, you know, the problem at Disney has always been all the guests want something different and they want everything to be the same <laughs> you can't do both <laughs> i think it was it's like taking the confederate flag down some people weren't happy <laughs> right it was the best decision and uh yeah it's just uh you know guests have an emotional peace in their heart because they came there as children and their parents took them there and they're, they're i had a lady come to see me when we got rid of the submarines you know and under twenty thousand leagues that was way back you know 15 years ago sure. and um they were in a landfill Near the ho- near the property, and uh, this lady, boy, she chewed me up and almost spit me out, and because she wanted to show her children those submarines. Right. And I said, "Ma'am, those submarines are going to be buried at the landfill on this date." And I said, "You come here. I will personally take you over there and let your kids get a photo in front of them and show them to you." And she came, and we took her over wow. to the landfill. <laughs> her kids got a photo of it, and I made her happy. And then the dirt went over the top of them, so that was it. <laughs> There's a lot of sad people that are wondering where they can start digging. Just so, so yeah, <laughs> but you know the problem with that ride is you couldn't deal with that many people, so you had more sure. people disappointed because you couldn't get on it. Right. The the amount of people could be handled on there was low, so that was a better decision long term. Yeah, well, it's same thing when people talk about oh, bring back Horizons just the way it was. I'm like, look, it, it, I I get it. You'd like one more ride, but if they brought Horizons back exactly the way it was. You got to remember, Horizons was not the most popular attraction in the parks, and that's why one of the reasons why it went. Because, and look, sometimes you need to make a sacrifice in order to keep moving forward. You do, and the kids today wouldn't go there for sure. <laughs> and uh, you know, they would go, "What? What is this?" And so you got to keep up, and you got to keep. Uh, so you know, I'm sure Cinderella will always be there. So <laughs> something is sacred. So you um, you helped to open Disneyland Paris, first park outside the U.S., and now, you know, again, exponential growth overseas with Tokyo, Hong Kong, and Shanghai. How are the experiences, you know, you talk about sort of the, the experience on board the cruise ships being incredible. How do the experiences overseas, do you think, differ than maybe the U.S. parks? Well, I think, you know, uh, Japan is great. I mean, 80, 90 percent of their guests are Japanese. Uh, we have all the things they like there, the food, the employees. They do. I've been, I've been there. It's fabulous, impressive. Hong Kong got open a little too small, so there were problems there in the beginning, but I think they've shaken that out and they're starting to grow it. Shanghai, uh, I think Disney now, after France, is paying more attention to the culture and making sure we're doing the right things for the people who will be visiting. And you know that Shanghai will be probably 99% or 95% Chinese. And, um, and not like in France where we didn't serve wine. That's not paying attention to the culture. And uh, we had too much American food. That's not paying attention to the culture. So I think the whole company's really learned a good lesson. They're going to open. They're going to pay attention to the culture. They're going to have Chinese managers running it. They're going to train them in the Disney way. And uh, you learn lessons when you make mistakes. And, uh, and I think the one mistake you should never make is always uh, respect the culture. Make sure you really understand the culture, and because Disney is different in Paris than it is in Orlando, and the customers are 50% French, and the re- another 30, 40% European, and very few Americans. So, uh, Europeans spend less on merchandise; they spend less on hotels. Uh, and you got to make sure you're building the right product for the market, and not just thinking, "Well, we're Disney; they'll do what we tell them." It's like saying you're going to change China. You're not going to change China. <laughs> Oh, you're going to change France? I doubt it. Yeah. Well, so, I think I think they've done that in Alani. I think Alani is a great example of paying attention to the culture and paying attention to where the guests are going to be coming from, too. Absolutely, and that's a good lesson. You know, the world got small quick. You know, <laughs> it gets smaller every year. Yeah. 
I mean, it's going to get cheaper and cheaper to fly and go places and to be there. And the middle class is growing so fast in China and Russia and India that there's going to be customers that are going to go wherever they want to go and they're going to have the money. The number of customers that will be able to afford to take a discretionary trip with Disney is going to grow so fast yeah. it's going to be incredible because uh, middle class and the economies are growing and, and uh, the big ones are. I mean, when you think about it, China's probably got more middle class than we have people. And uh, so does India. And uh, those are big numbers. And yeah. they go on vacation. And people like America, frankly. They like American stuff. And I think Disney is making it more accessible for people to go. And again, people like to come here. And, and it's, the thing is, you know that when you come to Disney, you know you, you have a level of, of expectation that's usually met or succeeded about the type of experience that you are going to get. And I think that's why so many people come and come back because they know it's a smart investment of their vacation dollars. Well, they do. The U.S. too. I think they like the weather. They like the beach. They like Miami. And, you know, Florida is pretty exotic and Southern California for the rest of the world. When you think about Southern California, you think about Hollywood. and Man, this turns people on around the world. And Florida, I mean, this is like... Florida. Everybody wants to go to Florida. And we got to go to the beach and we got to go to the Space Center and we've got to go, go, go. And they stay two or three, four weeks. It's unbelievable. Sure. And buy vacation homes here and, and stay oh. for extended periods of time. Thousands of vacation homes. Sure. So whether it be Walt Disney World or, or just in general, what do you think is the best new addition that Disney has brought in in the past decade? You know, I think some of that work they did back before I left when they really repriced everything, let you buy any tickets you want, didn't tie you in. If you want a one day, you can buy it. It's all about price now. You can get whatever you want. I think putting the meal plan in, get the free transportation from the airport, handling your luggage, taking more and more of the hassle out, being able to check your bags at the hotel, and you'll get them when you get back home in Chicago. I think all those uh, improvements around uh, treating the guests as individuals and letting them have what they want versus you have to buy this package or you have to buy a three-day ticket or you have to buy a four-day. And uh, those are things that are important going forward for every company. You've got to treat guests as individuals. You've got to give the guest what they want. And uh, it doesn't. if they want to pay for it, they'll pay for it. And if they want to buy the package, they'll buy the package. If they want the one-day ticket, they'll pay 95 or $100 for it. And so that's, I think, the best change Disney made in the attitude is let's give the guests what they want instead of us trying to tell them what they're going to have to do because people don't like that. And, uh, I, I, I love the answer, right? Because you, I think people may have been expecting you to say, oh, it's been Cars Land. It's been Mind Train. It's been a thing. You talked about an experience. You talk about making the experience better. Absolutely. You know, don't uh, tell me what I have to do or pay. I have to buy a three-day ticket when I'm only going to be in town two days. This is what makes people crazy when you try to control them and when you try to uh, take advantage of them. And uh, I think most companies are learning that today of uh, doing it your way. And look at the phone companies; they'll give you. There's ten different ways you can buy it, and uh, they want to get the little. They want to get the teenager. They want to get the mom and dad. They want to get the family plan. <laughs> I mean, they're looking for every angle to get every every constituent out there that's alive. And I think that's it. That was Disney, and that was Al Weiss. Al really pulled that off. Well, I think people are willing to pay a premium too for a type of experience. Look at Apple products. You're buying an experience. You're buying. You know, your your people are willing and will line up for hours to pay a little bit or sometimes a lot more because they know the type of experience that they're going to get. Whether you're an Apple, whether you love Apple or not, I'm just going to use that as an example. I think the same is true with Disney. Well, it's all over the world. I was just in Carmel, California for a month working on my fourth book, and we went up to Big Sur to have a lunch and enjoy a $16 hamburger overlooking the ocean. <laughs> With a $9 basket of fries, <laughs> with uh, God, I mean, why? Because it's incredible. Yeah. It was worth it. And I, I told the lady the first time I came there, a burger was $1.95. <laughs> and she looked at me like, boy, you must be really old. <laughs> and uh, But back then, everybody else's burger was 25 cents. So right. and that, and then when we went to an outstanding in the field, it's called dinner. It was $250 a person on the beach. I mean, this this doesn't even make sense, but we did it anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, it's the experience. So, if right. it was the experience, right? All yeah. right. So, another quick experience question: What do you think has been the best new movie, best feature film Disney's released in the past decade? 
Oh, you know, I don't get to a lot of the films. I only <laughs> read about them in the paper. And uh, so I would say, you know, uh, just recently, this Frozen was incredible. I mean, when you talk about non-fantasy films, you mean? or Anything. Yeah, whatever you yeah. think is like. You know, I think that, you know, for me, you know, the film that really got me and I was working for Disney and I frankly, I'd never seen a Disney movie and I didn't tell him that in the interview, <laughs> but uh, that wasn't something that was important. I was working at Marriott business, you know, I'm too busy to go see these things. And, and when I saw Lion King the first time, mm-hmm. that blew my mind. The, the, the story, the lesson it taught, the emotion of the father's son, I mean, the family. I mean, it was unbelievable. I was going, whoa, what did I miss? You know, and maybe I'd forgotten about Bambi. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was um, – those stories, are they're strong. I mean, and there's a big message. And, frankly, I think the whole family can go in there and see them. And the kids learn a lesson, and mom and dad are probably reminded of good lessons about – taking care of your kids and building a legacy in your family. And there's always a good story at Disney, you know, and the latest with Frozen was that it was that finally a woman saved the day instead of a man every time. And that was good for young women to see and um, probably why it's so successful. So, yeah, I think the stories and and the lessons. Disney always has the right lesson. And uh, even though it's uh, scary as you go along and – you know, you talk about in ingenuity. Last night, my grandson and I were watching uh, this whole thing about sharks on TV. And and this morning I read in USA Today, some lake somewhere put up a big screen and they gave people inner tubes and the key people floated in the lake last night watching the the movie uh, for with uh, what's it the shark movie Jaws uh, Jaws <laughs> this they were charging a fortune for people to float in an inner tube and watch on a big screen Jaws and I'm going to tell Disney right now you ought to be doing that at Typhoon Lagoon and Blizzard <laughs> Beach every night a big drive-in movie with Jaws the kids will scream and go nuts and crazy and they'll have a ball I uh, love it <laughs> yeah we you know when you were talking about when I asked you about the movies, you're like, oh, you know, the, the answer is we don't get to do things like read a book or go to the movies because we don't have enough time, right? Nobody has enough time. Yeah. And I think we have, we all have the same 24 hours, but we have less time, I think, due in large part to the technology, which is in our hands uh, all the time. You have a, a new book called Time Management Magic, How to Get More Done Every Day and Move from Surviving to Thriving. I'm with you, man. I believe in working harder, uh, working smarter, not harder. So what's sort of that one secret to being more productive every day? Well, one thing is people don't take the time to sit and think for 15, 20 minutes in the morning, make a list of things they want to get done today, this week, and this month. And if they thought about that and each one of the responsibilities in their life, uh, from their children to their health to their uh, known careers to going back to school to you name it, aging parents – uh, and think about each responsibility in your life, and you'll make a list of things. And then I think I also tell people, think about yesterday, what you didn't do so well, and go fix it right away this morning. Just go through your day yesterday, and do you need to call a client back? Do you need to sit down with one of your people again and talk to them about their performance? And I think two of the most important things in life that I've learned is, first of all, reflection. Think about the past, what you could have done better, because when you reflect on it, you will do better the next time. And anticipation. Think about the future. If you don't do something, if you don't exercise, what can you anticipate? If you don't get your annual physical, what can you anticipate? If you don't uh, have a good relationship with people, what can you anticipate? You know, anticipation will make you think of things you ought to be doing now so those things never happen. And uh, it's like having a talk with your children about the birds and the bees. Just anticipate what's going to happen if you don't have that talk, (laughs) you know, and then uh, reflect about how you could even when my wife and I have a little to do, you know, where she's not happy with me. I've learned to more reflect on how what could I have said? How could I have handled how could I have handled that better? And that's why I love the music movie Frozen. I just said let it go, let it go, let it go. You know? And uh, reflection is a powerful thing that most Americans don't do and most people don't do. When you reflect, you learn yeah. and you get better. And when you anticipate, you you avoid. And uh so that's kind of how I think about time management. And the book lays out a good system for how to do it. And it's real simple, and it's changed my life. I went to the, a course in 1980, learned how to do it. And frankly, I think that's one of the main reasons I was successful. I'm able to get things done. I'm a reliable. I keep my promises. I do what I say I'm going to do. And I have a good attitude. Those two things will beat a degree any day. 
Absolutely. And I, I sort of use like a, a priority matrix that I create for myself, but I think it comes down to, to focus. It's like you got to focus on, on what's critical, on what's really most important. What's that one thing? Because we're so easily distracted by a million other things and a million outside influences. And I think you're right. If you reflect and then look forward and focus on those things, you'll get a you've lot got, more done, a lot less time. You've got it right there. And I tell people, do you know the three things you should focus on in your life? And I've got them clearly me. Number one is me. My health. I work out every day. I have a strength trainer. I get my annual checkups. I take care of myself, keep my weight down. That's number one, me. Number two, my family. And number three, my finances. If I have any time after that, then I sure, I'll go play golf or I'll go uh, you know, watch Kim Kardashian's life <laughs> unfold. But I'm not going to be doing those things unless I got the first three under control. Right. <laughs> You're not binge watching on Netflix until you get the other things right. You got to prioritize, you know. You I gotta... don't know any of the real housewives and I don't want to know. <laughs> so it's it, uh, this. As we were talking about this, we were talking about you know saving uh, saving time, and I think for a lot of people, saving time is saving money. And just to quickly bring it back to Disney, real quick, you know, Disney implemented something that's meant to help people save time in the parks, which is My Magic Plus. Again, the use of a huge investment of uh, finances to try and have a, a better experience, to try and save time, to use technology to enhance the experience. What are your thoughts sort of looking at My Magic Plus, understanding it's sort of probably the tip of the iceberg? Well, I think it is the tip, and it's going to get even stronger and better as technology and as they figure it out. But, I mean, when you give somebody a band and they already have their uh, fast passes programmed in there, and now you don't have to wait in line. What do you want them, waiting in line or going and buying some more merchandise and food and an ice cream cone? I mean, this thing may increase sales. Who knows how much? And the guests will be happy. Instead of standing in line, their life gets more programmed. That's why I like cruise ships. You go on a cruise ship, and you just they tell you when to be, what to eat, what time. You're there, there, there. Everything's programmed. And I don't have to think. And then you take the hassle out of it. This is taking the hassle out of uh, so many things, and that's what technology is going to do. You don't have me stand in line or going somewhere where I can't get in. And, and uh, so that I think it's fabulous, and uh, it'll get a whole lot better. You know, anything that big is going to take some time to shake out, but it, it will just get better and better and better. And then you're going to see every other company doing it too in some respect. Right, right. Yeah, you're going to be able to make appointments right and left uh, on your phone, and, uh, and uh, when you show up there, they'll be ready to take care of you. And, you know, even hospitals are doing it now. They're telling you you can go online tell it's eight, 18 minutes in the waiting room or it's 17 minutes or it's i mean amazing how it's changing life technology i know once they start chipping people it'll be a lot easier just stick the chip <laughs> in, a, in our wrist or the back of our neck and just you know um when you were talking about you know your, your daily routine and the prioritization and things like that i, I think you know, it is about worrying about ourselves, but I think the next thing we worry about is legacy, right? We're worried about our family. We're worried about finances because we want to make sure that they are taken care of. If you had to sort of talk about, you know, yourself, what legacy do you think that you left at the Disney company? What, what's Lee Cockrell's legacy at the Disney company? Well, the legacy I hope I left is that people trusted me and they knew that I got involved and I cared and I knew what was going on and I was a good teacher. You know, I was teaching time management there. I was teaching dining courses personally. I didn't have to do that. When you're the executive vice president, you can go in your closet in your office and nobody will ever see you and you can get away with it. <laughs> but uh, I think being a teacher and being somebody that was trusted and uh, they knew that I really did care about anybody, everybody. I had a policy. Anybody could come and see me. I don't care what you do for it. doesn't matter. Call up. I'll be glad to see you and see if I can help you. I wish you'd talk to your manager first, but if you don't trust them or you can't get anything done, you welcome to call me and I think that is my legacy I hear from people a lot of time and uh, and uh, yeah and I think in my whole life I want to be remembered as a good teacher and I help people get ahead because uh, it was about helping people get better at what they need to do to have a better life and uh, when you you know when you make that life for somebody at Disney you know if we help a housekeeper become a manager we're going to change not only her life we're going to change her children's life and then their her grandkids life and Three generations from now, kids are all going to be a lot better off. And that little housekeeper cleaning the room, if we do a good job with her and get her into management, her kids are going to be lawyers and doctors and professionals. And you change lives by teaching and giving people that opportunity. And if they trust you, they'll uh, listen to you. So trust to me is like everything. Don't lose the trust. Absolutely. Because once you lose it, you can't get it back. Can't get it back. 
I can't get it back. You know, I didn't I didn't think about this as I was asking you the question, but I think part of your legacy is your son Dan, who was formerly head of MGM, now head of Epcot, earned that. I mean, he he got to that position himself and I know Dan and, and I love Dan and I think he's doing an, an amazing job. But what what do you think was maybe the most valuable or important lesson you taught him maybe before his first day of work? Well, he would probably tell you that when he was growing up, we we expect you to do what you say you're going to do, to be, uh, you know, honesty and integrity. And he's learned those things. And I was traveling a lot. His mother worked on him a lot. But uh, he, uh, you know, we never focused so much at that you got to make a 4.0. Daniel Cockrell was a 2.8 his whole life. <laughs> And he played football, and he was vice president of the class, and he was a captain of the football team, and he went to Boston University and walked on and made the team. He was captain of the rugby team for the All-American team. He uh, sports, I think, uh, a lot of he learned about teamwork and about uh, everybody's important. And uh, and I think we set a good example for him. We were good role models. Um, his grandfather was an admiral in the Navy. He adored his grandfather and his grandmother. They were good role models. And when you have a bunch of people in the family that are good role models, there's more. The kids actually turn out better. And I think uh, that's why you got to be careful what you say and do. And he was the happiest guy in the world, Daniel Cockrell, when his dad retired and got out of his way. <laughs> right. Right. Because you can be imagine. T- yeah. Tough mixing work and family, I'm sure. I'm sure many people thought that I got him the job. I didn't get him anything. So. Uh, He's done fine, and I've been gone 10 years, and he's been promoted two or three times, so it wasn't me. I have no authority anymore. <laughs> well, I love being, you know, and he's so out and about. I see him all the time in the parks, and he always, you know, he's he's talking to guests. He always has a smile on his face. He's always watching, and, and I think that's again, goes back to the sign of a, of a really good leader. Well, and I think he loves his job, frankly. I mean, he just loves it, and yeah. uh, I told him, stay in operations. That's where you get the most satisfaction. When you have a profit you got to make and you got cast members to take care of and you got guests. When you have those three, life's a lot of fun and a lot of exciting. I cautioned him against taking staff jobs where you don't see the customer every day. And uh, so I think there's something to that, at least in our family. I started out, worked my way up, and Dan started parking cars in the parking lot as an hourly <laughs> and worked his way in. And uh, once you know the business, by the way, all your people know if you know or not. They know. Sure. They know if you know what you're doing. So I, I know you have a podcast called Creating Disney Magic, um, which people can find in iTunes and Stitcher. I'm going to link to it in the show notes this week. And I know you had one episode. And, and, and what I love about the podcast is it's, it's not scripted. It's very much Lee being Lee and talking about life and business and lessons. But you have one episode where you talk about what you would ask Walt if you ever met him. Obviously, you never met him before he passed. It's a common question I think a lot of people get. I want to sort of tease that episode a little bit and ask you the same question. What would it be if you could have a question to ask Walt or something to say to Walt? What would it be? You know, what I'd probably want, want, now that you say that, I am very curious about how people made such big, hard decisions like he did. I can't, you know, I think I'm a risk taker. And when I watch this guy (laughs) mortgaged his house, I mean... The things he did, and this is what the really big leaders do, high risk, high reward. I mean, he didn't, he just, he, I don't even think he thought about the money anymore. It was about, he got so focused on focus. You talk about a focus minute. He was so focused on creating this place for families to go together and so focused on attention to detail and using technology. You know, when he was first one to use color in the movies and, and you know, I just think, wow, this guy, I don't, I, I don't know how he slept at night with all that debt and with all these projects going on. And, uh, and he always did the right thing. You know, he stepped up and worked for the Army and the Air Force during World War II and did work for them and created educational films. And just seems like every time he went, he, uh, he, he could handle the pressure. He could handle the risk. And if you don't take risk, you don't end up like Disney did. I mean, you know, it's easy to build a park and not do the, not do it perfectly, not, not have the attention to detail, not spend the extra dollars to make it really authentic. And uh, I think he always did that, that little attention to detail that made Disney just the whole, you know, there's a lot of attractions in the world. You can go anywhere and ride a roller coaster. And uh, I think the attention was the storytelling, uh, the attention to the design, the colors, the lighting, the music, the smells. I mean, he, he hit it on all, all chords, and God bless him. I mean, uh, 
there's a lot of people trying to be like him now, but he's the one who really set the early pace for creativity and, uh, and doing it right. So I'd love to know. And maybe he's going to tell me he had a nervous breakdown every three months. I don't know. But uh, I think he was so – when you're committed to something, it's easy. It's like being with your children, you know. You're committed to your kids. You'll do anything. It doesn't matter how hard it is. And I think he was so committed to doing this that he just didn't worry about the risk. He just kept going and knew that it will all work out. And everything's hard before it gets easy, and I guess he knew that. Uh, and look, and that's one of the reasons why I admire and am continued to be inspired by him. But I think it also, too – is a, a quote that is not one that maybe is, is as famous as some of the other ones, is that a man should never neglect his family for business. And I think yeah. he was able to balance that. And, and still, as busy as he was, as busy as we all are, you know, Walt always cared for his kids, and he, and he put his family first. Yeah, you know, and a lady said to me one day, she said, Lee, can you imagine the world without Disney? And, boy, that was a statement. I said, whoa, I guess not, actually. Because anywhere in the world you find Disney. I was in the middle of Cambodia and a kid had a Mickey Mouse T-shirt on, you know. <laughs> I mean, and uh, I don't know where he got it, but it was like. And then you think about, you know, Walt was in that uh, Abraham Lincoln. You talk yeah. about those people that take high risk and push and they don't give up and they won't give in. Whoa. And look what kind of results they get. Sure. So, if finally, you have uh, what I think is is got to be one of the one of, if not the highest honors that that you can get from the company. You have a window on Main Street USA, which reads the Main Street Diary: True Tales of Inspiration. Lee, a cockerel editor in chief, above the uh, the watch store, and and the Main Street Diary is all about building those connections and real relationships with the cast members. So, the the question I want you to leave the, the person who's listening that's inspired and wants to be part of this is what lesson, what advice, what would you teach to somebody who wants to be a cast member, a, a leader, an imagineer, or, or just part of the company in some way? Well, I tell people, if you really want to be with the company today, it's not that easy to get in. And uh, I'd say, if you really want to get in, get in early, uh, take any job, get your foot in the door, and then prove to them you're great, and you'll get promoted. But a lot of people get out of college and they don't want to take an hourly job. And they want that, you know, their mother and father are putting pressure on them and they just paid a gazillion dollars for their education. <laughs> but I would always say get in with a good company and stay for at least five years. And if you're good, if you haven't been promoted, then you can move on and you'll have it on your resume. Because uh, today to enter Disney at a management level is almost impossible. they got 72,000 people over there waiting in line for their opportunity and you're not going to get in. So you got to, are you willing? I tell young people, you're 23, 24 years old, get, you got 50 years to work, take a chance. Go in there and take a job. And if you're as good as you think you are, you'll get promoted because most people are not trying hard enough. And if, you, if you're more reliable and a better attitude and you do a better job than everybody else and you raise your hand and, and you're professional, you'll get promoted. So get yourself inside. Or you can go off and take a management job with some company that's not that great and then 15 years you'll regret it. Right. And so it's uh, it's tough. And I say that because I started as a banquet waiter. You know, hey, my mother wasn't too happy. My brother was an orthopedic surgeon. <laughs> <laughs> she thought I was a lost cause. And uh, I learned the business and I turned out with – I tell people if I got a college degree, I could have got a really good job. So uh, I don't say that too often because right. it really annoys people. People from Harvard get really annoyed at me if I say that. So. Well, I, I think, you know, it's having to get rid of this sense of entitlement that's starting, you know, Disney likes to promote with from within. Take whatever job you can get. Because, look, I agree. I think experience trumps education 99.9% of the time. Absolutely. And if you can get both, you're really in good shape. So Yeah. If you can get your education and experience at the Disney company, whether you stay there or not, I think it's uh, incredibly, incredibly invaluable. Uh, I want Lee people to go over to LeeCockerell.com. They can also, I'll put links in the show notes to there as well as Amazon where you can get uh, three of Lee's books, Creating Magic, uh, Common Sense Leadership Strategies, uh, The Customer Rules, and Time Management Ma Time Management. Magic, and you can also find his podcast over on iTunes and Stitcher. And I think Lee, I'm going to see you very soon uh, at in Fort Worth, Texas. Correct? We'll be down there for the Podcast Movement Conference, which is another thing. If somebody told me I was going to go to a podcast <laughs> conference, I was going to say, "What's that?" I thought it was like something you live in and pod. And uh, so I'm going, and I'm looking. Jody Mayberry, who you know, he's the moderator for my podcast, does a great job, and we're going to give a little 40-minute talk about something by the time we get there, and we'll look forward to seeing you too. 
Absolutely. We'll definitely have to get together and, and do something while we're there. Again, LeeCockrell.com. Lee, thank you so, so much for sharing your stories, for sharing your experience, for continuing to, to be a teacher. Thank you, Lou. It was a lot of fun. It's time for our Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week, where I invite you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World history or see how well you pay attention to the details in what you see, possibly in what you hear. If you think you got it right, you can then enter for a chance to win a Disney prize package. Before we get to this week's question, let's go back, review last week's, and select our winner. So last week, we did a live restaurant review of La Hacienda over at Mexico and Epcot's World Showcase, so, of course, the question had to be about the pavilion itself, and it was simply to tell me the name of the opening day boat ride attraction through the Mexico Pavilion. You know it's now known as the Grand Fiesta Tour, starring all three Craballeros, but originally it was known as El Rio del Tiempo, or the River of Time. Lots of you not only got this one correct, but shared some of your memories and thoughts about which one you like better and the music from the original attraction, which I also love as well. But I took all the correct entries, randomly selected one, and last week's winner, who's going to get all seven of my virtual audio walking tours of the Magic Kingdom and 102 Ways to Save Money for an At Walt Disney World book and a WW Radio Magic Band cover is... Bob Sloan. So, Bob, congratulations. I'll shoot you an email so I can get your package out to you right away. If you played last week and didn't win, that's okay, because here's your next chance to enter in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. So, this week's question is once again very simple if you know where to look or how well you pay attention, because all you need to do is tell me where in Walt Disney World can you find the Forgotten Grotto? You have until Sunday, July 19th at 11.59 p.m. to email your answer to contest at www.radio.com. Again, you're playing for all the audio tours, the 102 ways to save money for an at Walt Disney World book, both of which are available at www.radio.com, and a WW Radio Magic Band cover. So good luck and have fun. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune in this and every week. Really appreciate you spending some of your time with me and Lee this week. And our question of the week for you to answer is to tell me what do you think is the best new addition to Disney in the past 10 years? You can interpret that however you want, whether it be specific to Walt Disney World or the Disney Company, however narrow or broad you want it to be. You can tweet me at Lou Mangello. Same thing. I'm at Lou Mangello on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, or you can call the voicemail. Be heard on the air at 407-900-9391. Quick thanks to everybody who is a new member of the WW Radio Nation. If you want to find out how you can help support the show and get exclusive rewards every month, including scavenger hunts, access to a private Facebook group, custom personalized Magic Band covers, logo gear, backpacks, t-shirts, mystery care packages every month from Walt Disney World and lots more, you can visit www.radio.com support. Also, don't forget to join me every Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern for www.radiolive.com. You can also follow me on Periscope at Lou Mangiello, where we do a live, interactive video broadcast and chat. We also have great blog posts, new videos, including our Snack of the Week is back, our free newsletter, and lots more. But as you know, I think nothing beats a handshake and a hug, and that's why we have monthly meetups in Walt Disney World and on the road. Visit the events page at www.radio.com. Had a lot of announcements last week. The next meet of the month is this Sunday, July 19th at Restaurant Asaurus. Everybody who comes is going to get a free WW Radio Magic Band cover. August 30th, we're going to spend a day at Typhoon Lagoon. I'll then have September's and later months coming soon. But next year, lots and lots of stuff going on. We've got our Star Wars cruise and ninth anniversary of WW Radio on the Disney Fantasy in February. Just a few weeks later, our New Orleans Meet, Eat, and Marathon, February 26th through the 28th. And then our huge e-ticket adventure in November 2016, 
starting out with a meetup and event in New York City. Then we hop on board the Disney Magic for a one-way cruise six nights to Puerto Rico. And then we end off with a weekend in Puerto Rico as well. Again, you can find everything over at www.radio.com slash events. I'll also be doing other meetups while I'm speaking at conferences and two businesses and schools throughout the year. The next is going to be Sunday, August 2nd in Fort Worth, Texas at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. You can find a link to that at the events page as well. It's also my birthday, so I figured why not celebrate it and share it with friends. And hey, if I can come to speak to your school or your business or work with you one-on-one or in small groups to help you follow your passion and do what you love and turn it into your profession, visit lumangelo.com and click on the Work With Me tab. Uh, big thanks to Mouse Fan Travel, my official and recommended travel provider, and to get some Disney magic delivered right to your door, visit celebrationspress.com. Don't forget that my new Tomorrowland audio tour of Walt Disney World is finally out. It is available over in the shop at www.radio.com. Unlike past audio tours, I put this one on a two-CD set, but also unlike past tours, this one is a limited edition of only 500. Those 500 are almost sold out, so if you do want to get it on CD, visit www.radio.com slash Tomorrowland. You can get it on CD or instant download, as well as the other six audio tours of the Magic Kingdom. And as always, my friends, and you are my friends, whether we have met yet or not, all I ask is that if you like the show, please help spread the word. Let others know about it. Tweet out that you're listening. I would love it if you would share links and comment with your friends over on Facebook. And please go to iTunes, rate and review the show there. We have more than a thousand reviews thanks to you and people like Vicky from the UK, a recent reviewer. Visit iTunes and search for WW Radio or go to www.radio.com slash iTunes and get a direct link that way. Finally, and most importantly, thank you so, so much for your time and your friendship and the love and the support because I, what I said to Lee was true. I think if you give love, you get love and you give me lots of love and hopefully I'm giving you some of that in return and I hope that you are taking steps, however small they might be, every day to do what you love each and every day and no matter how hard it is, just remember the struggle is going to be worth it. Giving up? is not. I hope you have an amazing, amazing week this week. So until next time, see ya. Hello, Lou Mangiello and uh, WDW Radio Nation. This is Adam Hirsch calling you from the cutest little town in Carburetor County, more specifically the Cozy Cone Motel, um, where I look forward to meeting all of you in just over a month at uh, the newly announced meetup out here. Um, just wanted to say thank you, Lou, for everything you do for all of us, and I can't wait to meet all of you. And, uh, yeah, hope you all are having a great day, and uh, see you in a month. Thank you. Hey, Lou, it's Chris in uh, uh, West Palm Beach, Florida. Yeah, NY Chris, uh, mixed team in the box. Just called to say hey. Hope you had a great 4th of July. Hope everybody else in the, the box had a great 4th of July. And uh, I really enjoyed the um, the Sen and Hell uh, Cantina. I enjoyed that very much. Good to hear uh, from John again. Glad you guys did a uh, another uh, podcast with that, and um, enjoyed it. So anyway, you take care. All the best, everybody, and give a shout when you can. You've got a friend in me. I never look back, darling. It distracts from the now.